doesn't know he's a never oh, never no. man. And Marco's at the party mess. of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, here we are, the middle of July 2019. What is in the world of pro wrestling news from the news desk, sir? Well, Fight for the Fallen was last night. Evolve was last night. Uh, I was doing my own show, so I didn't get to watch either one, but... From the looks that I'm getting, the gestures that I'm getting from everyone, Fight for the Fallen was the better product. Yeah, but compared to the previous two shows, which the first one was Double or Nothing, which Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen are not going to be to the same standard as Double or Nothing or coming up when they do All Out because those are major shows. These are like B pay-per-views in right. their in their world. They were also free shows, and in the case of Fighter Fest, that was at a gaming festival, and this one was a fundraiser. So it was a charity event. So you can't really expect to put on WrestleMania thirty whatever kind of production into it. Yeah, this one had more production errors than Fighter Fest, and the wrestling just wasn't overall as good as Fighter Fest or Double or Nothing, but. You can't always have classic shows, and I didn't think Fighter Fest was amazing. I thought it was a passable show, but this one probably was too. I mean, they're free shows. What do you expect? I mean, it's it's going to be better than their weekly TV product, probably. So, Cody's speech at the end and the Young Bucks speech was... It took up the last ten minutes of the show, this speech between them, and, you know, Cody's part was okay about firing up the crowd, but I heard that the other parts of the speech weren't really all that memorable or great because the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega aren't exactly known for their public speaking so (laughs) yeah but I haven't seen the show I still need to get around to watch it I was actually watching the show we're reviewing this week uh, last night during that time so it was standing room only it was standing room only but hope you were well hydrated it was very hot in Jacksonville and a lot of the wrestlers performance could be blamed on some of that humidity and stuff it was 
it was tough. And Britt Baker got concussed in her match and actually went to the wrong tag partner looking for a tag. So, Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was a really bad-looking kind of... I mean, it's not really a botch, but it's just confusion. So yeah. the temperature, the outdoor setting kind of affected it, too. I haven't watched that show, and I haven't watched the Evolve show all the way through, so I'll save my actual opinion. That's just what I'm what I'm hearing out on the streets. I haven't actually heard much about the Evolve show. I've just uh, started watching a little bit of it, and it seems fine. I mean, yeah. it was at the ECW arena. It wasn't... WWE didn't go out of their way to make a big production of it or anything, so it's... It did have pyro, though, so Evolve Damn. can have pyro, yeah. They went out of their... Uh, way to get some pyro they went out of budget yeah went over budget the day we're recording the extreme rules pay-per-view will be on later this evening and also the g1 was rolling throughout this weekend so it was a big weekend in pro wrestling plus the ufc had a card on saturday so you had plenty of choices in the world of combat sports and i chose to watch pay-per-view from 15 years ago (laughs) so that's what i did going forward though uh extreme rules tonight do you have any picks? Do you have any predictions? What is your thoughts going into it? Anything special? The only thing that I'm going to predict is that they used the Brock Lesnar cash-in on this show, and he cashes in on Kofi Kingston, and that's your SummerSlam match, is Kofi chasing uh, to get his belt back from Brock. It's the only venue I can see them going with the briefcase and Brock in the near future. I mean, he's got a year to use this thing. He said it himself, but... On Raw, Paul Heyman made the promise, which they never break promises in pro wrestling, (laughs) but that Brock is going to cash in on Sunday. And I think the WWE thinks that a lot of us think that, oh, he's talking about Seth Rollins, but I actually see it more, the better program is with Kofi Kingston and Brock Lesnar than Seth Rollins and Brock Lesnar. So I don't know, though, if that would be a good match. Well, they've had a match since Brock came back a few years ago. They had the Beast in the East match. So this is actually one of the rare times Brock's going to face a guy a second time since he's been back. Like yeah. He's only done it a handful of times. So I didn't watch Beast from the East. So. I didn't either, but this is uh, this is basically the rematch of that. I mean, Kofi was basically just fed to him. So yeah. I'm sure they have a story to tell from that. And also, Kofi is an amazing champion, but he, as someone chasing the title, he's even better, I think. And he can defeat Brock and get it right back. It's it's not a big deal. So. Right. Uh, that's the only major prediction I have for Extreme Rules. Don't really see a lot else on this card. The only other kind of title change or anything of note, I, I'm not sure that Bailey's going to hold on to the SmackDown title because she's in a handicap match against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. So they could probably do that. They could do the co-champion storyline or whatever. That's the only one I see any kind of other title change on this whole show. I think the rest of it's pretty much pretty much predictable. So, what are your thoughts on Extreme Rules? Any anything you're looking forward to? Not really. With the WWE's pay-per-views since WrestleMania, I haven't really. There hasn't been anything must-see for me. I would turn them on if I was just around and remembered, just yeah. to have something on, but. It's not appointment viewing. Tyrus, the uh, Funkasaurus, and went a little too far in some text messages that he sent to one of his co-hosts from the news station. Um, I'm not sure exactly what all they are. You want to fill us in? Yeah, so Fox News has this streaming service where it's not on cable providers. It's called Fox Nation, and it has... Just more of the same. Just talking heads, talking about random stuff. And you can stream it on their website or on your phone or whatever. It's their mobile offering. And they try to... I think they're trying to appeal to a younger demographic. So they have a lot younger hosts and stuff. And he hosted a show with uh, a lady named Britt McHenry. Now, Britt McHenry is famous from a few years ago because she worked for ESPN. She was like a sideline reporter... And showed up on Sports Center, and she got fired from ESPN basically because one time her car got towed out of like the restaurant she went to or the club or something, and she's very upset about this, Patrick. And so she went to the tow truck center and yelled at the tow truck people and told them that she was famous and all this and she's better than them. Well, all this was on tape, so the tape got released and then she was fired. So. 
she's actually sort of famous herself from um, not great news uh, <laughs> about her. But Tyrus was on the show with her for a while, and last month he was removed. This past Friday, Deadspin finally showed some of the text messages that... So he was harassing this girl. And some of them are direct. Uh, here's one that says, Just pull your boobs out now. Why don't you? Just grin and bear it. And then he says, Keep being negative. I'll send you another dick pic. But then there were some that were just strange, like this one. I love the fact you're always working. If we ever had sex, I feel like an orgasm. You say, speaking of feeling good, did she see the story on the puppy rescue? We should do a segment on it if you hand me my phone. So what? Some, yeah, some of them uh, made no sense. But, oddly enough, Fox Nation has retained Tyrus, and he has his own show now. So he was actually kept on staff and just put... He was given a promotion, basically. To have his own show. Yeah, so now he has his own show. And, uh, where he can't harass his co-hosts, so... Strange. Uh, strange way of disciplining your employees, but... Well, has, uh, his former co-host, is she still a part of the company? Yeah, I believe she's still a part of the show that he was on before, I guess. Yeah, so I guess she's still on the show. It was a show called un-PC, so I think she's still on that show, but he has moved on. Tamina Snuka got a concussion. Yes, her tag team partner, Nia Jax, is out with uh, two bad knee injuries, and now Tamina has joined her, and Tamina has had a long list of injuries in this company. I was telling you when you told me this story before we started that it seems like she's on the injured list more than she is the active list. Yes. And, well, Tamina Snuka is only 41, so she's still relatively young. I actually would have thought she was older. But she's been on this roster for nearly a decade on the main roster and just hasn't really progressed as a, as a wrestler. As She has the size and the... The power. Yeah, she has size and power and she's very intimidating in her looks and her... Uh, the way she gnarls and you know, a lot of things that you would want out of a giant and in the female division she would be a giant. But... They just haven't ever really figured out how to use her correctly. And this goes back to what we were saying a couple episodes ago, that they really kind of need managers. I mean, they they don't believe in managers anymore. And a good manager can get you really far. uh, Because I don't think The Undertaker would have made it as far without Paul Bear doing the talking for him. It's true. Because The Undertaker... Uh, now we kind of understand his promo style is going to be very slow, and it's going to... Uh, just His tongue gets in the way of everything he says. You're going to rest in peace. And yeah, I mean, but with Paul Bear, it was more concise. It was... Uh, he could be the ominous figure in the background, and I, I just... That worked, and that got Undertaker many years, I think, where Undertaker would have been completely screwed if they stuck a microphone in front of his face. So... I just think that sometimes wrestlers need that, and I don't know why they've moved away from it so much. Just like the Authors of Pain. The Authors of Pain are two big wrestlers in their division, in the tag division. They had Paul Ellering, who I guess didn't want to go on the road when they got moved to the main roster. But then they gave him Drake Maverick. Well, he's not exactly the right kind of manager. And now they're lost. We wouldn't have Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette had they not been given opportunities to be managing in their 20s, and they just yeah. don't do that. This company has... Stokely Hathaway is on their developmental roster, and he's a great manager. Will we ever see him? I don't know, because they just don't put managers out anymore. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of strange that they won't even look at hiring managers, and the the art of being a manager is has really kind of drifted away, unfortunately, and and I feel like it needs to be brought back into the fold because there is an art to it, and it's very it's very interesting to be able to control an audience, not just by wrestling wise, but con- to control an audience by getting involved, by distracting, by you know. To the point that just such as Heenan would do to where people just absolutely hated this man. And 
there there's a fine art to where that manager can add to the star and add to the match and it's like they don't want to even acknowledge that. There's a few wrestlers on the roster who do have managers, like Paige is managing the Kabuki Warriors, Asuka and Kairi Sane. And they weren't even on TV for like two or three weeks in a row. Yeah. So if you do it, you've got to stick with it. But that can be said for a lot of stuff in the company. But I think that's kind of what's happened to Tamina. Bad luck and bad management by the company about her character and her TV time. And, I mean, for a long time there, she came along in an era when they weren't focused on women's matches at all. So, that that has a big factor, too, is that, you know, they had the Bella Twins were what they thought female wrestling should be. So yeah. More bad news coming out of WWE. Jeff Hardy has been arrested for public intoxication. Yeah, Jeff Hardy was in South Carolina at Myrtle Beach. He was arrested on Saturday for public intox and impairment. He had a mugshot made. He was released on $200 bond. He's dealing with a knee injury, which is why he's off television. But he underwent surgery earlier this year, and he's recovering. And he's actually going to be on the table for three Monday night uh, after Raw on WWE Network. They're not going to discipline him, and they're not going to release him because he's too valuable to their competition to release him. And also, they've dealt with like the Uso situation with... One of the use of squaring up with a police officer, and he was probably drunk, and they've... Yeah. They turned a blind eye to that, and a week later gave him the tag team titles. Yeah. So, when people are struggling with addiction, they've they've really changed their tune, and they've, they've tried to be supportive more than, uh, get rid of them. And also, they're in a different time now where they have to worry about keeping talent around, so... Jeff Hardy's a legend to them. Yeah, uh, a legend that can still go in the yeah. ring when he's called upon. If this was a guy from like 205 Live or a guy from Orlando and developmental that they don't know anything about, really, they don't know what they have, and they're not a priority, they might treat it differently. But when you're an established star like the Usos and Jeff Hardy and you get into this kind of trouble, they're going to find a way to help you, to keep you around. So I uh, hope that Jeff gets the help he needs because... He had a DWI, I think, last year or the year before, so this is an ongoing issue with him. And they even made light of it in a segment where Samoa Joe was at a bar holding up a glass of beer and mocking him. They they dropped it, like, soon after. It really never got resolved. So they've even acknowledged it themselves that this guy is a recovering addict. And recovering addicts are going to slip and fall. I mean, that's what they do. Right. So... Jeff Hardy coming to Chattanooga in a few months to do some music, sign some autographs, and do Is some music. Now? Yeah, he's coming to one of the bars downtown, and he's going to uh, sign autographs and say hi to the people, and then he's going to do that shitty music that he plays and play a few songs. I want to go. Where is this at? JJ's Bohemia. I don't think it's your type of place. I don't think it's really anybody's type of place, honestly. It's not. It's a dive bar. But they were the ones that had Jake the Snake there a few months back. So apparently they've got a thing for having wrestlers in now. So, Well, recovering alcoholics yeah. as well. Yeah, in a bar. Yeah, in a great a place for him. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see if that still happens. But he's booked to come here in September. Well, you're going to have to remind me because I would love to go to that. If you go to that, I mean, it's actually fairly... I mean, it's like 20 bucks or 25 bucks, which for an autograph is fair. For wrestlers, like I'll never really like. I mean, tell you got to make money on the side. Um, I would leave after I got the autograph. I wouldn't stay for the music. Well, that's the reason I'm going though, is for the music, because I want to hear his rendition of music. I'm curious. Ah, I forgot what his band was called. Because I didn't know he played music. You didn't. I did not. You've never heard of Peroxygen? I have not, no. Yeah, that's Jeff Hardy's band. So, But I think this is just him acoustic, so it's him solo. Perox Y question mark Jin. In TNA, he promoted this thing. That's the only way I even knew that he was involved in music. Because wasn't there a backstage thing we watched on one of these Raws where he was like strumming a guitar and like he didn't do anything? I think so. He was yeah. just sitting there. It was like he got beat up by Undertaker or something. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, so Jeff Hardy. One day, after this wrestling career is over, he's going to be a great... Rock star. Yeah, he's going to be like Jericho, where he thinks he's a rock star, but he's not. Moving forward, we have a new NWA national champion. Do you know who this man is? This is none other than the Tennessee Cowboy James Storm. We saw them reintroduce this belt at NWA 70, where Willie Mack won it. And, of course, Willie Mack then signed with Impact. So, in April, at the Crockett Cup, he dropped it to Colt Cabana. So, you knew this wasn't going to be a long title run. And, on that same show, the Crockett Cup, James Storm debuted. And so, they have given him the belt. He defeated Colt Cabana at a Ring of Honor taping. So, they taped it on June 29th, so it actually happened a couple weeks ago. But it just now aired, I think. So, I just wonder if the NWA is ever going to be its own promotion, or if it's just going to be floating in and out of other promotions forever. I just think that's kind of weird. I think AEW could utilize it. That would be a big platform for them if they were able to get on TNT, but... Yeah. uh, We'll see where it goes from here. Victoria has confirmed that she is retiring from wrestling. Yeah, Lisa Marie Verone is 48 years old. She was a bodybuilder and stuff, and China met her and encouraged her to become a wrestler. So it's because of China that we got Victoria. She debuted, of course, in the WWE as one of the Godfather's hoes. But before that, she was actually on WCW. She was on camera in a segment with Scott Hall. Yeah, she never got a full-time contract with WCW, but she did make a few appearances there, so... On WCW. I'm pretty sure she shows up even in a Nitro in, like, 2000, so off and on she was popping in and out of WCW for a minute. She won the Fitness America series in 1997 on ESPN2, and she won the title. She competed in the Miss Galaxy competition, and that's where she met Tori Wilson. And so that's how she got on WCW. But then turned it into a wrestling career after being encouraged by China. So, yeah, she had a good run in WWE and in Impact and was one of the female wrestlers that could actually work. One of about five or six on the roster that could actually work. And then everyone else was uh, just there to get naked. And she actually could work. As we see in this pay-per-view that we review yes. coming up here in just a few minutes. But congratulations to her. And yes. now she is on the convention center circuit. Because her Twitter is nothing but her going to all sorts of Comic-Cons and Expos and setting up her booth and hanging out with Jake the Snake and other wrestlers that are there. Harley Race had to pull out of the Knoxville Expo he was supposed to be at. He's in bad shape, so he had to pull out of his Expo appearances over the weekend, so... We'll see how that develops going forward, but he's been in poor health for a while, yeah. and then he was still doing these uh, convention center stops. So hopefully Harley will get well soon and get back to the uh, circuit. Absolutely. Last but certainly not least, Enzo Amore versus Joey Janela. Now that sounds like a match you want to see, right? It's going to be a great match. Guess what? It happened. Not in a ring, though. But at a Blink-182 concert. I'm not sure I want to see Enzo in any more wrestling matches ever. Really? Joey Janela, that's fine. So anyway, there was a uh, Lil Wayne Blink-182 concert. I'm sure Enzo was there more for Lil Wayne, and Joey Janela was there more for Blink-182. Uh, so this that's probably what they fought about. Yes. Uh, so this rapper and this band are going on uh tour across the nation together, and... Joey Janelle and Enzo Amore had been kind of uh, occasionally on Twitter they would spat at one another. They happened to run into each other at this concert, and uh, this is Joey Janela's side of the story. I wasn't scared. I was absolutely bombed, laugh out loud, before the footage you see, because there was some footage that got out that showed them uh, just a few seconds after they had had this, this scrap. We had a little scuffle. Glass is already on the ground, so... Joey Janela lost his precious sunglasses. He punched me in the face. I held my finger in his face, and then his friend told me his boy was filming, so I was hesitant to continue. And then Joey Janela says, I started the whole thing. Jokingly, all night I said I was going to find Enzo and fight him to get a TMZ story. As we were leaving, he was three steps ahead of me, and I said, Hey, 
I'm Joey Janela. Wanna fight? Not really a polite way to introduce yourself after all the Twitter antics. So yeah, Joey Janela takes 100% credit for this, and uh, he started the whole thing. Apparently it was just the one punch, though. He didn't engage with him. And he blames it on White Claw Hard Seltzer, which is a really delicious beverage, by the way. And it's really light, it's, made, it's clear, it looks like you're drinking Sprite, and it's 6%, so you can drink a bunch of those, and you get drunk really fast. <laughs> and you won't notice it at first, because it takes a second, and... You know, you'll think you're having all these refreshing, like, seltzer waters, you know, and it's... But then all of a sudden, holy shit, I'm really drunk. I'm gonna fight now. <laughs> so, Joey Janela got White Claw Seltzer some press this week for his fight with Enzo. Enzo, of course, doesn't understand comedy and just that Joey Janela was purposely trying to stir shit up to get on TMZ. So, Enzo, of course, um, you know, called Joey a fuckboy and made a video of him boxing in a gym saying, Joey! And he's just punching a punching bag. Because Enzo can't take a joke, Patrick. No, not at all. And that has become very apparent over the past couple of years. This week it was your pick. We go back to April of 2004, April 18th. And we go to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. What? Edmonton? Yes, the follow-up to WrestleMania 20, which... Had I seen the calendar of WWE events after WrestleMania and saw, oh, they're going to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and Chris Benoit is in the main event of WrestleMania. Chris Benoit is winning the I wonder who's going to (laughs) win. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, a little too on the nose, you know, a little too, well, of course. But, you know, this was before high-speed internet was throughout the world just readily available. It still is not available in most places, but back then, even, I wasn't watching a whole lot, so... I don't know if I would have known where to even get, like, the touring schedule or whatever. And I wouldn't have... I don't think anyone read into that, you know? No one read into, oh, well, they're going to be in Edmonton, so Chris Benoit's winning. But especially because Triple H, it seemed like, was always champion. So, of course, uh, he's just going to win. And maybe Chris might beat him at Backlash or something like that. So it's not too telegraphed but of course wrestlemania 20 we've already reviewed that on the podcast was the crowning moment in the careers of eddie guerrero and chris benoit and very hard to watch the celebration of that at the end of it but tonight uh this was hard to watch as well the, I was the end say, of this you're worried about that one you ought to worry about this one yeah this one was this one was rough uh, it was really tough uh the poster for this event features Chris Benoit, so on the network. Yeah, they replaced it with Randy Orton and Mick Foley in their fight on the network instead of the actual poster, which is Chris Benoit's face kind of morphing into Chris Benoit's body. It's really weird. This was in front of 13,000 fans. The tagline, Escape the Rules. And this was back in the brand split era. Yes, so this is a Raw. Raw exclusive. Yes. All you SmackDown guys can suck it. (laughs) Because you guys are going to be on Judgment Day instead, so uh, just deal with it. We get a recap of the WrestleMania 20 main event and voiceovers from Sean Hunter and Chris Benoit. We're in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is, of course, Chris Benoit's childhood home. He would, of course, reside in Atlanta, as we'd all find out. JR and King have the call along with Hugo and Carlos doing the Spanish announcing. On Heat, we missed Val Venus defeat Matt Hardy. I know you're sad about that one. I'm very, yes. Out first, Shelton Benjamin. He had two wins over Triple H in the last month on Raw. Well, he had a count-out win, and then he had an actual roll-up win with a little distraction from Chris Benoit. So, Shelton Benjamin technically did have two wins over Triple H, but does that get him in the title match? No. Does that get Triple H's spot in the title match? No. That just gets him a match against Ric Flair, who was half of the tag team champions with Batista in Evolution's run here in WWE. Shelton delivers a nice drop kick, takes Flair out of the ring. When they get back in the ring, Flair takes over after thumbing Shelton in the eye, but is stopped after Shelton slams him off the buckle. Flair goes for a figure four, but Shelton nearly defeats him with an inside cradle. Flair fires up after chop blocking Shelton's leg, and Flair zeroes in on it, puts him in the figure four. Shelton rolls it over, but Flair rolls him to the ropes, and the ref breaks it up. We get a huge chop to Shelton, which gets a near fall. Flair wants to bring a chair in the ring, but Mike Kyoto stops him. We get a chop and strike battle between Shelton and Rick. 
Then Shelton catches him with an enziguri, which is what the guy with a bad leg would do, right? Then he hits a heel kick on his bad leg. And then Flair flips right out of the ring. Shelton suplexes him back in. Flair chops him down, goes upstairs. Shelton stops him, but Flair slips on some knucks, brass knucks. But it doesn't matter because Shelton hits him with a flying clothesline. The knucks never came into play. And one, two, three, Shelton Benjamin defeats the greatest wrestler of all time, Ric Flair, here in the curtain jerker of Backlash. Because Ric Flair went on before Jonathan Coachman on this pay-per-view. Just think about that one. He was the opening act for Jonathan Coachman. That is very true. I did not think about it in those terms. That is pretty bad, yeah. This match, at points, it felt like it was building to something, but it just never took off. And before you got a resolution with the brass knucks or anything... It was over. So it really, it was building very slowly, as most Ric Flair matches do. The finish just came out of nowhere, and it was over. And unfortunately, it didn't really do much for Shelton. Obviously, they had no idea what to do with Shelton Benjamin, this great wrestler. What do you do with him? I don't know. Give him a mama. To this day, Shelton is still a really good wrestler, but to this day also, not much is known about his character because they have never really established what it is. The sadder part to me is seeing Ric Flair being reduced to just being a guy. You know, a Ric Flair match, part-timers and wrestlers that are older, like Undertaker. Every time Undertaker wrestles now, it's a really big deal, Patrick. It's not just, oh, the curtain jerker, oh, you're going to wrestle Undertaker. Why? Because the Undertaker wrestles every week. And I mean, Triple H fought to get Ric back to wrestling because Vince wanted nothing to do with Ric Flair, the wrestler. He brought him back to be the GM and to be this character, the colorful... He likes the character of Ric Flair, but he's not invested in Ric Flair the wrestler. Rick was a really good guy here to just say, okay, I love wrestling so much because Rick does love wrestling, so I'll just be one of the boys. Yeah. And I'll just be, you know, tagging with Carlito at the WrestleMania before he is the star of WrestleMania the year after in his retirement match. It's just sad to me because you have this legend and those matches could really mean something if you built them up and if you didn't have him on every single episode of Raw Wrestling or yeah. whatever, you you made this be a major win. Like, Ric Flair putting guys over should be a major accomplishment, but here it just felt like, oh, okay, you beat him because yeah. he's just a wrestler. But he's not just a wrestler. He's Ric fucking Flair. WWE didn't understand that about Ric Flair, so... That's that's my thoughts on this match. I just thought that it was kind of sad seeing Ric Flair just be one of the guys. What did you think about the match, Patrick? I I mean, it's I love the match. I think it's it was done very well. Shelton Benjamin got to showcase his best talents. Rick, of course, one of the best sellers of all time, sold it like a million bucks. And Todd Grisham is backstage with Randy Orton. Randy puts over his IC title reign. He's the longest reigning champion in seven years. Wow, what an accomplishment. And his win over Mick Foley at WrestleMania, which he was involved in that terrible tag team match against the Rock and Sock Connection, which I think we could all just would like to forget about. Randy says he'll beat down Mick Foley and make Mick enter retirement once and for all. Silly, Randy Orton. Silly. You've never seen a pro wrestler, have you? You've never met one because they never retire. They just stop. Until they start again. He said Mick is an old, sad, toothless dog, and Randy has to put him out of his misery. Randy, first of all, thanks for taking the time to do this interview. Um, Evolution not exactly getting off to a great start tonight. Do you think that Ric Flair's loss to Shelton Benjamin could be a bad omen for things to come in your match against Mick Foley? Let me tell you something, Todd. Shelton Benjamin comes over to Rise, been here a few weeks, big deal. Okay, people act like it's the second coming or something. I mean, come on. So what, he's on a winning streak. What about my winning streak, Todd? I've... I'm the longest reigning intercontinental champion in the last seven years. Seven years, that's, that's a very impressive, if, if I do say so myself. I've beaten legend after legend after legend. Hell, I even beat Mick Foley himself at WrestleMania 20. Still, still, Todd, no respect. But tonight, tonight here at Backlash, you see, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be different. I'm going to earn that respect. Randy Orton is going to deliver a beatdown to Mick Foley or Cactus Jack, whoever decides to show up tonight. I'm going to deliver a beatdown that causes Mick Foley to enter retirement once and for all. But aren't you a little scared of what 
Mick's gonna do to you? I, I, he says he's gonna bring a barbed wire. Scared. Todd, come on. You... Mick Foley can do whatever he wants. He can talk about all the violence, all the blood, all the brutality, everything that he holds so dear to his heart. I've seen the explosion matches over in Japan. I've seen the cage matches right here on WWE. I've seen all the sadistic things that he can do. But there's one thing, Todd. Randy Orton's gonna show Mick Foley a side of him that he hasn't seen before. Randy Orton is gonna show Mick Foley a side of him that he'll never forget. You see, Mick's like a dog. He's like, he's like an old, sad, <laughs> toothless dog. And what do you do to an old, sad, toothless dog, Todd? You put him down. You put him out of his misery. And tonight, right here at Backlash, that's just what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put Mick Foley down, out of his misery. Once and for all. And this promo just made me remember how good of a promo Randy Orton is because modern day Randy Orton and the Randy Orton we've gotten several years Seems like he never talks. Because he hears voices in his head. He doesn't have time to talk to us. He does hear us. voices in his head. Do they talk to him? I think they talk to him. Does he understand? Well, I mean, after this match, you'll understand why he heard voices in his head. Jonathan Coachman is out next, yes. Jonathan Coachman is out next to wrestle. Yes, wrestler Jonathan Coachman here. To take on Tajiri. Oh. My, how the mighty have fallen since ECW... And when Tajiri came out, I was like, I just want to skip this match. Why do we even have to watch this? But okay, I watched it. <laughs> Tajiri kicks the post accidentally instead of Coach, so Coach works on the leg. Coach puts on a leg breaker on Tajiri. Boring chance from the crowd. Tajiri uses a sunset flip to get a two count on Coach. Tajiri kicks Coach in the face to escape another leg lock. Tajiri crotches Coach on the buckle. He gets put in the tree of woe, and Tajiri baseball slides into his neck for a near fall. Coach almost wins with help from the ropes. Coach then gets put in the tarantula. And then Garrison Cade comes down. Student of Shawn Michaels. Decking Tajiri in the face. Coach rolls him up. And Jonathan Coachman defeats former ECW television champion, the buzzsaw, Tajiri. Well, this is what you run into when you have the split rosters. Because in today's WWE, with 215 contracted wrestlers, you can split the rosters up. No problem. They didn't have as many wrestlers back then. So they get to this card and they're like, oh shit, we gotta fill three hours? Oh, fuck. Coach, coach yeah. yeah. Call for coach. You're wrestling tonight, buddy. You better lace up them boots. <laughs> the right way. To take on Tajiri and defeat him is pretty sad. Yes. I'm trying to figure out what Lance Cade has to do with all this. Uh, no one cares. No one cares at all. Well, he was still Garrison here. This oh, was before yes, Garrison he was Lance. Cade. Sorry. Yeah, he would change his name when he got into his tag team with Trevor Murdoch. But I'm trying to figure out still, though, what he's... Was this just a payday? Because I didn't see his ass on anything else. I'm sure this led to a Raw match between Tajiri and Cade. The main event gets previewed, and then we get a recap from the love triangle between Trish, Y2J, and Christian, which made me remember... That Y2J basically had the same exact storyline with Stephanie McMahon, and he learned nothing from it, and then a few years later did the exact same thing. The woman betrayed him and joined with the other guy. He even calls her the same thing, trash bag hoe. He didn't even give her a new name, he just said, ah, that one worked fine for the other lady, so I'll just use it for you. (laughs) It's a two-on-one handicap match this go-around. Jim Ross calls Christian and Trish vicious and delicious, and I said, hold up there, buddy. That is not Vicious is, and Delicious. No, no. I'm not seeing any Scott Norton. <laughs> no, or Buff Bagwell. Yeah, I'm not seeing any Norton or Buff, so... It's not. It's not JR, a, a bad mistake on his part. This Canadian crowd very nice to the ladies as they chant slut for Trish when the match starts. Jericho does the come on baby pose on Christian after a vertical suplex for a two count, which we discuss this all the time. You've never seen him win a match with this thing, right? No, okay. I want to, though. Yeah, I want to see him win, just win one match. Just one. This. Y2J chance now from the crowd as Jericho stays in control. All these Canadians, by the way. Uh, all Canadians in this match for the Canadian crowd. 
Jericho gets shoved into Trish. This allows Christian to shoulder tackle him out of the ring. Christian brings Jericho back in the ring, tags in Trish, who slaps Jericho three times, then lands the chick kick and tags out before Jericho can give her her comeuppance. Jericho tries the walls of Jericho on Christian, but Christian kicks him into the post, and Jericho headbutts him in the crotch, so Christian caused his own headbutt to the groin. Jericho then nails Christian with a bridging Northern Lights suplex for a two-count. The captain of Charisma gets an assist from Trish to land the inverted DDT to Jericho for a two-count. Jericho wants the walls of Jericho on Christian, but Trish stops him. Jericho takes Trish and spanks her, but then he walks right into an unprettier, but Christian for some reason doesn't cover and wants Trish to get to cover, so by the time he tags her in and she gets in, it's only a near fall. Christian tags in and covers again because that w- that would work, of course. Trish tries to attack him, but he clotheslines her. That's right, Jericho finally attacks the woman to no reaction, really. A bulldog and lion salt to Christian, but Christian gets his knees up on the lion salt. Christian uses the Texas cloverleaf on Jericho. Jericho rolls through, puts Trish in the walls of Jericho. She tried to stop him. Christian tries an unprettier, but Jericho counters into a wall. Christian blocks it, so he catapults Christian into Trish. Then he hits Christian with an Insiguri, and that's how he wins the match. One, two, three. Y2J defeats Christian with a Insiguri. I guess in tribute of Owen Hart, as that was a big Owen Hart move. That was a big Owen move. Yeah, that match was something. Uh, Trish really got her comeuppance. That it was something, all right, and I, I hate saying that, but it was not anything I wanted to see. Eugene is backstage looking at the Divas magazine in their centerfolds. He creepily comes into the women's locker room and runs into Gail Kim and Molly Holly, before William Regal then runs him off, and then William Regal starts perving out on the gals, and then he gets shooed away. So great, we have a <laughs> sexual harassment lawsuit brewing in the company. Victoria is here to defend the WWE Women's Belt against Lita. I didn't know why they didn't book Canadian Gail Kim in this challenger position, but I would find out later. Victoria's got a giant Steve Austin knee brace on her right knee, so she was working hurt. They lock up Lita and Victoria and then stumble out of the ring. They exchange near falls. I sort of had to block King out of my ears during this one as he was just interested in having sex with these two women. Victoria hits a standing moonsault for a two-count, a snap suplex for a two-count. Lita takes over in the match and takes Victoria over with a head scissors. Lita puts Victoria in a sleeper before Victoria breaks it, tries a fireman's carry into a side slam for a near fall. Then Victoria climbs the buckle, tries a moonsault, but Lita rolls into it, so it still connects, so they botch this. Lita hits a twist of fate, but Victoria kicks out at two. We get an inside cradle. And Victoria, 1-2-3, just like that, wins the match and retains her women's title. Molly Holly and Gail Kim attack both Lita and Victoria after the bell, so see you on Raw. I'll say the women had more time for a match than usual, so that was good. I thought it was kind of boring just because it was Victoria in control, then it was Lita in control, then Victoria rolls her up and wins the match. And mm-hmm. there was no back and forth. There was no... And it seemed to take them a long time to, like, set stuff up. Like... Yeah. Whatever. It it was fine. It was above average for 2004 WWE women's wrestling. Yeah, I'm not shooting it. Compared to what we normally see, it's... They weren't mud wrestling, so <laughs> that was good. JR and King talk about Randy Orton versus Mick Foley. Then they air the promo package about it. Mick is blinded by his own ego, says Randy. Then Randy says, Mick Foley, you're my bitch. Mick, for some reason, wants that prestigious Intercontinental title. Which makes zero sense. Shouldn't have even been mentioned about this match. Why would Mick Foley want the Intercontinental title? He talks about all this from a rocking chair. So he make Mick Foley look like the oldest man at Cracker Barrel as he holds his barbed wire bat in a rocking chair. Randy's spitting his face and he's going to hit Randy with Barbie, his barbed wire bat. We'll see about that. I've always found the world hardcore really had nothing to do with chairs. It had nothing to really do with tables, garbage cans, cookie sheets. The ring hardcore signified that I loved the fans enough to put my body through unimaginable pain. Even when I had the chance to take part in some barbaric matches, deep down in my heart I rested with the comfort that I was doing it for love. 
and I swore I'd never go back. But in trying to recapture the passion that I thought I lacked at WrestleMania, I went back and I looked at the tapes. But it wasn't the barbed wire. It wasn't the tax that caught my eye. It was my eye. And it was there that said deep down, maybe there was a little part of me that didn't mind inflicting that type of damage. Deep down when I heard the scream, the suffering, the agony, maybe deep down, I even loved it. Randy Orton, these were honorable men. They never spit in my face. They never took cheap shot, triple team efforts to send me to the hospital. But the fact is, when I had the chance, I wrapped the arm in barbed wire and I tore them apart. So if I were you, I'd be asking myself a simple question. And that question would be, then what the hell is this man going to do to me at Backlash, knowing full well he hates my guts? The answer, Randy Orton, is simple. I'm gonna tear you apart. I'm gonna take Barbie. And I'm gonna be off. I'm gonna teach you what it means to be hardcore. I'm gonna tear. I'm gonna guard. And I'm going to love it. Randy is out first. He stole Christian's pyro, the showering sparkles here, so that's something I noticed. Um worked better with Randy Orton. But anyway, just wanted to point that out. He brings out a garbage can full of plunder. Mick is out next in his Cactus Jack gear, and he only carries out his barbed wire bat. Randy had a barbed wire stick that comes undone as Mick Foley gets in the ring, so... Randy hides behind a garbage can from the bat. Mick manages to hit everything but Randy Orton, who stumbles into a cameraman to get away from the barbed wire bat. Orton drop toe holds Mick into the steps to get away, and grabs the bat himself. Randy and Mick fight over Barbie. Foley gets chance uh, here in this Canadian arena, but Randy then decks him with a garbage can. Mick stops the garbage can shots with a boot to Randy's face. Mick is in control when they get in the ring and immediately takes Orton back out where he hits a neck breaker. He wants his signature Cactus Jack running elbow from the apron, but Orton crawls away. He says, fuck this, I'm out of here. Orton then lays out Foley with a belly to back on the ramp when Mick goes to get him. Orton takes back control and they brawl towards the ring. Orton tries to get the barbed wire bat in Foley's face, but Mick blocks it and stops it with a low blow. He then pulls out Mr. Socko, but then Mick just throws Mr. Socko down and picks the bat instead. He runs the bat in Randy Orton's face, so Randy does some color here. Then he drops the bat on Randy's face for good measure. Then he runs a knee into Randy's face. Then he grabs the bat and rubs it across Randy's face. Then he steals Randy Orton's t-shirt that he had been wrestling in. He leg drops the barbed wire bat onto Randy Orton's balls, which got the biggest reaction of this entire match. And that gets Foley chance again. Mitt goes and gets some gasoline from under the ring, and I thought this was about to get really extreme. Where naturally, you guys keep gas under the ring. You never know when you're going to need to refuel the ring. Well, I mean, you got to cool it down some way. Oh, with gasoline. Yeah, you pour it out there and let it cool down. Does it clean up the ring better? Yes, it does. The alcohol inside of it, you know, you can get stains out really well, and it just works a lot better. Mick douses the bat in gasoline, and he starts to light it when Eric Bischoff comes out, and Eric Bischoff is a party pooper. (laughs) Eric says, if you light that, you'll get fired, which Mick Foley had already retired, so I don't know that he cares that much. But more importantly, the fire marshal will shut the show down. And all these people will have to go home. And I thought this this is the, my one gripe about this entire match, is that Mick should have then set it on fire anyway. Okay, but how do you put it out? And how do you get rid of it without light, lighting the mat on fire? The Throwing it outside and lighting the mats on fire. Well, I think when... Okay, so here's how I would have done it if... So you have Eric come out and say all this stuff, and when he says something about the fire marshal, Mick goes and gets a fire extinguisher. And so he uses the flaming bat and then puts it out himself. So he's responsible. He's a responsible hardcore legend, Patrick. So this kind of 
to me, this kind of soured the match. Like, it didn't even need this spot at all. Like, it didn't need a flaming bat. But if you're going to tease it, you have to do it. You have it, to it, do it. It's just like climbing the hell in a cell. When you climb up there, you're going to have to go off of it. Yeah. And if you deliver anything less, it's kind of like... Uh, in this case, the match was still good after it, so it didn't kill the match. But had this been a different crowd, I mean, I think you might... You risk maybe even losing the crowd in other arenas, but this arena didn't seem to care that much. So, he decks Orton with a baking sheet. He finds a big board with barbed wire on it under the ring. Patrick, what's that for, for the uh, setting up of the ring? Well, I mean, sometimes we have to use that to level it out, you know, and the springs from the barbed wire kind of help level it out and make it nice and neat. When he breaks this board out, that gets holy shit chance. Mick then gets freedom powder to the face from Randy, and Orton power slams him on the barbed wire board. Orton put Barbie in the corner. No one puts Barbie in the corner, so he goes and gets it. Orton throws Mick Foley into the bat and then insiguries him into the bat. Then Orton throws it at Cactus Jack, who was laid out in the ring. Foley chants again to get him to fire back up and make the comeback here as Randy Orton finds the bag of thumbtacks. Orton spills the thumbtacks all over the ring and wants an RKO to Foley onto the tacks, but Foley dodges it and throws Orton into it for a huge reaction from the crowd as Orton's back is just nothing but tacks. Oh, man, it is engulfed in tacks and his elbow and his arm and just tacks everywhere. Yeah, you can't say Randy wasn't a team player tonight. He went above and beyond to put this match over. Foley rolls him up for a two-count, so, of course... Randy needs to continue here. Orton stumbles towards the back as he's covered in tacks, but Foley tracks him down. They go backstage. The camera doesn't follow them backstage, which is weird to me. Then they brawl back towards the stage where Mick throws Randy off the stage through a conveniently placed wooden box that had cables on top of it. So Orton smashes through that. Orton gets checked out while he's laying in a puddle of his thumbtacks and his blood and everything else in that box. While Foley celebrates the attack, the refs tell Mick that it's over, but Mick fights him off and finally does his signature Cactus Jack elbow, this time off the stage to Orton, who was still down. Mick covers Orton, and of course, two count, naturally. Yeah, I mean, of course. As Mick drags Randy to the ring, Randy picks a few tacks out of his back, so he was uh, not liking these thumbtacks too much by this point. Mick then double-arm DDTs him for a two-count in the ring. Mick takes a shot from Randy Orton as Randy Orton grabs Barbie and uses it. He hits Mick in the face, once in the midsection, and then two to the back. Mick puts the sock on and uses the mandible claw on Randy. Orton low-blows him to escape. Mick puts the claw on again, but Orton RKO's him, but Mick kicks out at two to a big reaction. He RKO's him on the bat this time. And that finally puts Mick away. One, two, three. And then Batista and Flair come out to scoop Orton up. And carry him to the back because his ass ain't walking. Yeah, so this is Mick Foley's favorite match. So how can you knock it if he says it's his favorite one? So It's a good match. It's a, it's a really it good match. It is good, and Mick didn't really have to do all that much himself. No. Usually it's Mick going out of his way, breaking himself to put Randy, guys over. Randy took most of it. And yeah, he did. And this performance, I'm sure, catapulted him uh, into into that world title match at SummerSlam. Yeah. Because oh, you're dead. You're this dedicated, and you're only 23, and you're so good. Yeah. Got to win the belt. So I don't like Randy Orton that much, but this was a really good match. This was a really good match. This is one of my top matches that I like to watch over and over again. It was much better than the WrestleMania 20 tag match that these two had, so that they wasted a rock return on for. So, uh, yeah, no, no complaints about this match. This is definitely, I think this is the best match of the night. I think this is better than oh, the main event. hands down, yes. Then we get a commercial for the John Cena Word Life DVD, complete with a John Cena rap. John Cena, just, who's on SmackDown, so SmackDown bought advertising time just, on Raw. I mean, just basic thugonomics. Triple H congratulates Orton 
as he runs into Todd Grisham. Todd says, what are your chances? Triple H says, don't bet against me, even though it is Chris Benoit Day here in his hometown. So Triple H not studying footage, instead studying news from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. La Resistance is out next. The Sylvan, Sylvan Grenier and Rob Conway version of La Resistance. No Rene Dupree. They're taking on Hurricane and Rosie, the superhero and the superhero in training. The shit. I like the shit. Conway hits a nice twisting neckbreaker to Hurricane off the buckle. Eugene comes down as Rosie takes over against La Resistance. Eugene starts playing with the Quebec flag. Hurricane dives from the buckle out to the floor on La Resistance. Then Eugene comes in the ring, runs the ropes as Hurricane brawls with Conway. Hurricane hits a super swinging neckbreaker for the win on Rob Conway as Eugene distracts William Regal and the cameras. So the match was just background noise for a Eugene comedy segment. So well, yeah, Eugene was the best part of the match. Which I guess they were thinking, oh, him messing with the Quebec flag would get cheers. But in Canada, there's not. A whole lot of resentment against, like, the provinces from province to province. It's not like like college football rival, rivalries in the States. Like, we don't really care. Like, Canadians don't really care if you take one of the other provinces' flag and do anything with it. They would care if Shawn Michaels took the Canadian flag and did what he did with it, but they don't really care about the Quebec flag being disturbed by Eugene, so... I don't know what this segment was supposed to accomplish because even for Eugene, I don't really like the character of Eugene. Really, we've, we've had this discussion before. Yes, I know he's one of your favorites, but this was just nothing to me. This wasn't this wasn't good comedy wrestling. Right. This was just nothing. Edge's return is talked about as he attacked Eric Bischoff and beat down Kane, and then Johnny Nitro, Eric Bischoff's boy back here in 2004, tells him the rules of the match. That's going to go down, and he gets speared for his trouble. So Edge is going to take on Kane. Kane is out first, followed by Edge, who's in a cast. A cast on his arm. So he's not—he's still not 100%. Nope. Edge does corner punches on Kane, but gets slammed down. Edge tries for a spear, but Kane bails to the outside. Edge baseball slides him and clears out the announce table. Kane stops him by attacking his cast on his left hand, stomping it in the ring. Kane works a broken hand with stretches before he hits Edge with a sidewalk slam. Edge teases using the cast, but Earl Hebner stops him. Kane misses his top rope clothesline. Edge DDTs him. Kane does the Michael Myers sit-up. Edge low blows Kane, hits him with the cast. Earl wakes up to count the fall for Edge as Edge defeats Kane in his return match. So, welcome back, buddy. It'll still be two years before you're a main eventer. (laughs) Promo for the SmackDown pay-per-view Judgment Day plays next, which is the rematch between JBL and Eddie Guerrero. The main event is next with 40 minutes left in the show. As we recap the WrestleMania 20 main event once again, Hunter is out first, followed by HBK. Tonight in HBK style watch, Sean has black tights with red hearts. No problem here. More problem with Hunter's white boots and black trunks. Not a good look. Then Chris Benoit gets a huge ovation in his childhood home, and oh man, they cut to Nancy and Daniel and David Benoit in the crowd. Oh, oh man brutal and i was like well at least they won't show him again i was wrong about that (laughs) benoit and sean michaels team up on hunter and throw him out of the ring benoit and sean have a chop battle hunter gets back in the ring hits sean with a high knee throws benoit out of the ring hunter and hbk keep benoit from getting back into the match he eventually does and delivers german suplexes to both hunter and sean this time benoit throws sean out of the ring puts the cross face on hunter but gives it up so he can go to keep Sean from getting back into the ring. Hunter wants to superplex Benoit, but Sean sneaks up on him and causes him to drop Benoit to the outside. Sean screwed Brett Chance here in Edmonton, Alberta, as Sean takes on Hunter. Which, by the way, Hunter had a hand in screwing Sean, so really they both did. Benoit lands a diving headbutt to Michaels for a near fall, but Hunter breaks it up. Mike Kyoto takes a bump when Michaels misses his leaping forearm to Benoit, Hunter goes for the pedigree, but Benoit stops it and goes for the sharpshooter. Sean then runs in, stops it, but gets put in a crossface. Benoit gives up the hold when he realizes there's not a ref to call for the bell. So Sean puts Chris in a sharpshooter, 
Boo. And then Earl Hebner, boo, runs down to recreate the Montreal Screwjob once again in 2004. So seven years later, they're still doing it. To this day, in 2019, the chances of them recreating the Screwjob this year are about 50%. Every year, it's about half and half. Will we do one this year? Probably. And here they are in 2004 doing it. The most repeated spot in their history. Hunter steps in, breaks it up. You screwed Brett Chance, get louder. And Sean milks all of it here. He just stumbles around and gives him the ear, but he doesn't, he never talks back to the crowd. This allows Benoit to put Sean in another crossface, but Hunter stops it. Let's go Benoit Chance are stopped when Hunter just DDTs him, so the crowd just shuts up immediately. So with Sean out of the match for a second, you tapped out Chance for Triple H as he fires up on Benoit because, yes, Triple H, one of the few guys he ever tapped out to, Chris Benoit at WrestleMania 20. Ask him that and see what he says today. Well, that never happened. Hunter takes his Harley race bump to the outside and HBK takes over on Benoit. Sean throws Benoit out of the ring, but Sean misses a crossbody to Benoit and Hunter and then crashes through the Spanish announce table. Ouch. Hunter whips Benoit into the steps, takes him into the ring. Then he whips him shoulder first into the post, out of the ring. They get back in the ring, and Hunter locks in the camel clutch on Benoit, but Hunter gives it up, finds himself in the triple Germans from Benoit. Benoit misses the headbutt to Hunter, and then eats a pedigree, but Shawn Michaels breaks up the cover. Shawn hits his leaping forearm to Hunter, and everyone is down. HBK kips up, drops an elbow from the buckles to Hunter, tunes up the band, but super kicks Benoit instead of Hunter. Hunter then low blows Sean. He tries a pedigree but gets dumped outside. Hunter hits Sean in the back with the sledgehammer. That back's never going to heal at this rate. Benoit drags him out of the ring before he can hit Sean with the hammer again, but Hunter slams Benoit's head against the steps. Hunter moves the stairs over to Benoit. He wants a pedigree on the stairs, but Benoit drops him and then catapults him into the post, and Hunter does the most amazing cell job I think I've ever seen, where he gets catapulted into the post, bounces off, then stumbles all the way over the guardrail and flops over the guardrail. This was like a seven-foot bump here, total distance. Meanwhile, Sean has been tuning up the band the whole time for Chris Benoit, but Benoit simply blocks it. He watched WrestleMania 14, I guess, and then puts Sean in the sharpshooter. Sean gets near the ropes, but Benoit drags him right to the middle of the ring. Hunter, who is now busted open with no time left in this match, climbs towards Michaels in the ring to try to save him, but Sean gives up, taps out before Hunter Hearst Helmsley can make the save to his old DX pal. And then Benoit gets a big ovation from his hometown crowd, and they have to cut to Nancy and Daniel once again. And, uh, terrible. And we're out. Not as good as their WrestleMania match. I don't know why they had to do the exact same match for Backlash. Could you not think of something else so we wouldn't get Coachman and... Tajiri, and so we wouldn't get Hurricane and shit. I would like to have seen Coach and Eugene. I would have liked to have seen Coach and Shawn Michaels. Sure, go for it. (laughs) I just want better use of the talent that's available. Because it's a limited supply. Move it around. It doesn't have to be a triple threat again. Technically, Hunter has no case for a rematch because he was the one that tapped out. Shawn could say, well, you didn't beat me, so it could have been just a singles match. True. But for whatever reason, this company never wanted to give Chris Benoit, you know, a big singles match, title win, or title defense. So, basically... Oh, so uh, the next pay-per-view that was Raw exclusive was, of course, Bad Blood 2004, which we've already reviewed, where... Yeah, Chris Benoit didn't even headline Bad Blood, it was Sean and Hunter, again, in the Hell in a Cell, in their millionth encounter. At Vengeance, guess what? Triple H got another title match against Chris Benoit. This was the main event, of course. Triple H has to be main event, brother. So Chris defended in this rematch of the three-way. He defended against Kane in the semi-main event. Then he defended against Hunter. And then would lose at SummerSlam. That's his entire... So he defended it twice? He only had two defenses in singles matches on pay-per-view. That's it. Well, he had three where he lost it. So Randy took it from him in the third, so... Way to book your champ. He had a singles match against Hunter, so he he wrestled Hunter three times. And then, of course, when he did drop it to Randy Orton, Randy Orton dropped it a month later to Hunter Hearst Helmsley. So, uh, it wasn't as good as their WrestleMania match. It was 
fine, but really the Mick Foley match, sometimes, I hate to say it, I mean, because Chris Benoit would already not be headlining the next pay-per-view, but you don't know that going in, so just put the better promoted match at the end. Sometimes you have to do that. Yeah. The crowd wouldn't have gone home happy, though, and this was Chris's hometown, so of course... To see Mick Foley lose, they wouldn't have liked that. So, to, to send them home happy, this was a good call to put it on last, I guess. But, in 2019 WWE, if you were telling me that the guy was going to his hometown to defend the belt, I would say, oh, well, he's losing. It's almost yeah. 100% guaranteed he's yeah. losing. So, the flare match is decent with Shelton Benjamin. It's fine. Nothing egregious about that match. So, I'd say Flair and... Flair and Benjamin, Mick Foley and Randy Orton, and then the the main event. It's really a three match show for me. The rest of it is forgettable. What What are your thoughts on? I I like obviously the Foley. I enjoyed um, Benjamin and Flair and Victoria and Lita. So on our rating scale, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where does your pick Backlash two thousand four fall? Randy Orton. Oh, he's pretty tall. I'm going to give this a... I'm going to give this one a Garrison Kate. It's uh He's pretty tall, too. Well, he was. But it's my pick this week, so... We're not going back super far, but we'll go back ten years ago to watch a show that was headlined by a guy that was in the news this week, Jeff Hardy, taking on CM Punk. It's Night of Champions 2009. Yeah, Night of Champions 2009, where CM Punk would defend the World Heavyweight title, where I think this is like straight-edge society, CM Punk. So, okay. There you go. It also features Rey Mysterio taking on Dolph Ziggler, which we might have watched this show live. I don't remember which. Anyway, well, it's been a long time. I don't remember any of it, so. Jarrah Show is on this one. Uh-oh. Well, it's every belt they had was on the line, so a nice a nice thing before they had 1,500 belts. <laughs> well, that'll do it for this week. You can get a free one-month trial of Powerslam.tv. Just go there and enter the promo code Retro Wrestling. That'll do it for us this week. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline's a clothesline. And bingo, bango. <laughs>